It's not very hard these days to find article after article and blog after blog written by so-called Christian fundamentalists who are gleefully pointing out all the sins of the Episcopalians with their appointment of a new woman presiding bishop and the PCUSA's hedging on homosexual ordination, smugly condemning them as being unbiblical and disobedient to God's word. And here they are, on the other hand, in the Southern Baptist Convention doing the very same thing in principle— as the EPCUS and the PCUSA by setting aside the word of God and adding to it the opinions and commandments of men by passing a resolution forbidding trustees of the Southern Baptist Convention from drinking alcohol. This is blatant pharisaical hypocrisy. So today we are going to mock, bash, and expose Christian fundamentalist hypocrites. So stay tuned with us on Sinners and Saints. In an age of moral bankruptcy, political sleaze, theological confusion, and aimless religion in a mindless church, we're addressing the need for a Bible-based, intellectually rigorous, 21st century Christian faith. This is Sinners and Saints. Theology with an Edge. All right, welcome to Sinners and Saints. We're so glad you're joining us here online in our brand new, fully improved new format. Sinners and Saints, as usual, joining us for our discussion is Reverend Adam Kalushin from Ontario United Reformed Church, Reverend Moses Jambazian from Pasadena United Reformed Church, and I'm John Sautel from All Saints Reformed Church. As promised, we're going to mock, bash, and expose Christian fundamentalists as the hypocrites that they are. Now, obviously, not every single Christian fundamentalist is a hypocrite, but I, I, I've got to say, it just it just stands out as so blatantly hypocritical here when you have all these fundies with their loud megaphones shouting, blasting away at the Episcopal Church, and of course it has all of its problems, you know what they are, and then you have the Presbyterian, mainline Presbyterians ordaining homosexuals as uh, uh, ministers and so forth, but the, the hypocrisy is this, and maybe you won't go with me all the way on it, but to me the hypocrisy is they are condemning those denominations for being extra-biblical, going beyond what Scripture says by ordaining and having a woman presiding as bishop or whatever, and here they are going above Scripture themselves with this new resolution. The Southern Baptists just recently passed this at the last convention, a so-called non-binding resolution, whatever that means. I mean, I, I guess that's a, 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 a wordsmithing kind of a way to... Well, every resolution at the Southern Baptist Convention is that's not oh, binding that's on their churches. They, they can't this have is just top a, down an expression of their so-called okay. messengers or whatever. But, but here it is. It's, it's that um, it urges that no one who imbibes be elected to serve as a trustee or member of any Southern Baptist Convention body... The call would apply to those nominated to serve on Southern Baptist seminaries, missions, and convention-wide boards. Notice the language of the resolution. The resolution opposes manufacturing, advertising, distributing, and consuming alcoholic beverages. Now, chapter and verse, where do we find this? Well... This cause of bashing fundamentalists is near and dear to my heart. Uh, I went to a Christian college that I went to a Christian college where Jesus Christ would not have qualified for admission because he did not meet the behavioral standards of the college. Um, it's the same thing here. Jesus Christ would not be qualified to serve as a messenger to the Southern Baptist Convention because uh, he didn't meet the standards of holiness set out 
uh, by the convention. I mean, this is... Uh, You're saying chapter and verse. There is no chapter and verse. In fact, chapter and verse gives the opposite view. Jesus Christ turned water into wine at a wedding. Jesus Christ uh, was accused of being a drunk because he drank wine. All over the scripture, we're commended to drink alcohol responsibly as a gift from the Lord. And these kinds of, of statements... Uh, in the name of not wanting to offend people who get drunk, you know, forget that there were people drunk around Jesus' time and he still had no problem. Okay, well, let me you know, just stop you by commending you for your uh, very nice use of wedge-issue rhetoric. Jesus Christ could not be a professor at the Southern Baptist Seminary. He's not holy enough. I mean, the Southern Baptists apparently have figured out, you know, the glory of God and the moral purity better than God himself, and so now they forbid people— to do things that they don't like and, in their particular opinion, don't fit the culture of holiness that they want to portray to the and world. what you were saying is kind of interesting that this is really the same problem as the liberals in terms of Scripture is not adequate. In fact, Scripture isn't really allowed to speak on it. You go beyond it to whatever you happen to prefer. In the case of the American Episcopal Church, it happens to be that they feel um, the sexual restrictions of the Scripture are really too restrictive. In fact, they should not be binding. And so... Openly homosexual men are ordained to office, in fact, to the bishopric. And in this case, the fundamentalists are saying, you know what? God might have allowed drinking, but we think that, you know, we are more holy now. And so we're not going to allow it. Let me listen to this. It's interesting to notice this. The L.A. Times, um, no bastion of conservative orthodoxy, um, notices the very same hypocrisy that we're pointing out here. This is an extended quote, but just listen to it. It says, in the religious as in the secular world, opponents of women's rights and opponents of gay rights are often the same people. In many ways, the ecclesiastical earthquake of three years ago is a replay of the controversy that followed the Episcopal Church's decision a generation ago to ordain women as priests. Then, as now, conservative Episcopalians said that a more inclusive ministry was scripturally unsound. They go on to make the point in this article that these issues of ordination of homosexuals to the ministry and having women as priests are linked by a common thread. That is, they refuse to see that Scripture dictates to the church what we ought to think and practice in regards to these issues. Of course, they'll be quick to jump in and say, no, 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 we're allowing Scripture to dictate this policy. The whole point is that we would not want to cause a brother to stumble. And therefore, you have clear biblical proof as the basis of this argument. Of course, that line of argument could be used to forbid almost anything in life that uh, has the potential to be abused. I mean, they could outlaw fried chicken, say, and it might actually help the Southern Baptist Convention to outlaw fried chicken, given that perhaps a large number of people, being Americans that live in the South, struggle with obesity and are causing many people in the Islamic world to stumble when they look at supposed godliness and profession of faith and save see people that weigh 600 pounds for reasons of <laughs> gluttony, not medical reasons, and just you know completely ignore it. My point is, you know, it, it is not a biblical argument simply to say, I don't want to cause my brother to stumble and therefore I'm going to outlaw alcohol. Okay? It's, it needs to be more developed than that. If you make a personal conscientious choice, given the environment in which you live and the particular, you know, neighbors that you have and people that you are around, that you don't want to drink alcohol, that's fine. We're not condemning that view. But to declare it as the law of God for anyone who will be 
in a position of authority in the Southern Baptist Church is the problem. It was the same thing at the college I attended. They would never come out and say, it is against God's law to drink alcohol. But what they said was, if we expect you to show signs of maturity in your sanctification, and one of the signs of maturity in your sanctification will be that you don't drink alcohol. And you say, well, wait a minute, are you saying that it's sinful and wrong to do it? Well, no, no, we're not saying that. But to be sanctified, to be mature in the Lord, yeah. then you will not drink. The, so this is all, it's not biblical, it's arbitrary. Think about this. The Apostle Paul, for instance, um, basically in a number of places in his letters talks about what it is to manifest the marks of being a maturing Christian. Now I want you to listen to this. There's a number of times he'll do this, uh, Colossians, uh, Ephesians, Galatians, whatever. But here he is, his first crack at the Colossians, the very first crack he has at them, to tell them, here's what it is to manifest spiritual maturity. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. He goes on to talk about other things to put away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Now, what's interesting there is I didn't read a hint of him saying, here's what it is to manifest the mark of spiritual maturity. Put away drinking a glass of beer occasionally. Put away smoking a cigar occasionally. Put away watching PG-13 movies. Put away uh, playing uh, TV-14 rated uh, video Well, games. John, they didn't have movies and TV in those well, days. Yeah. Well, actually, what's interesting is that when he does go on to continue with this, he says, Why do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with the using, and these things are in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. So the Apostle Paul says, look, God has already given to you the law of what he expects of you, and it is those things that will mark you out as a believer, not these commandments and teachings of men. So stop submitting to them as though that was true wisdom. Yeah, in fact, true wisdom is the thankful, appropriate, sober use moderate use of the good gifts that God gives. Psalm 104.14, God causes the grass to grow for the cattle and vegetation for the service of man that he may bring forth food from the earth. And he brings wine that makes glad the heart of man and oil to make his face shine and the bread which strengthens man's heart. You see, these are, are good gifts from the Lord to be enjoyed responsibly. To forbid them as a mark of some sort of spiritual maturity a higher class of spirituality than maybe just the common Christian is absolutely unacceptable and is a challenge, really, to God's standard. Okay, so Moses, you point out the hypocrisy, and this is, this is where we, we, we have to touch on this. I mean, Paul, like we just pointed out in Colossians, not only does he not put on the list of things that mark spiritual evidences of spiritual maturing, don't drink alcohol, but what he says very clearly and unambiguously is that, uh, look, don't sit there and submit to people who are saying don't touch, don't taste, don't handle, because these are merely commandments of men. Paul says a mark of spiritual maturity is that you're not going to run around instituting man-made commandments and imposing upon them on other people as if 
these were what it meant to be maturing Christians. And so here you have these fundamentalists. Here you have these people. Oh, they believe in the inspiration of the Holy Scripture. Jot and tittle. Every I, every, uh, every I dotted, every T crossed. Absolutely no errors in Scripture anywhere at all. And they, they, they shout this uh, from the rooftops. They claim they believe this. And here they are setting it aside and subverting it and saying, no, actually what we want is the commandments of men. Well, you have the same problem with the Pharisees, and Jesus deals with them. He says, you know, the law of God is sufficient, but you guys have added all these other things, and whereas you thought your actions were actually placing a hedge or a guard around the law so that people wouldn't even approach it, the reality is that you're actually causing them to sin by trying to keep your law because you forget the things of the Scripture, such as compassion and love and charity. And so on the liberal side, you have the problem. They say, look, we're being charitable, so we're ignoring the law of God that makes people feel excluded. And then on the other hand, you have the super conservative, the fundamentalist saying, well, the law of God isn't sufficient, so we will set aside these things like charity and the things where God says, no, these are acceptable, and we're going to say, for the good of others, we're going to add these restrictions. In both cases, Scripture is not adequate. In both cases, Scripture is simply a starting point, which is ultimately edited, usually with scissors, as they go through and chop out huge chunks of Scripture and make it conform to their will and their image. Well, I, I want to stop and just ask, why choose this one? Why, why choose wine? Why choose we don't want a board member, a trustee member, or a seminary professor to drink wine. This is a particularly American thing, believe it or not. I mean, I know a lot of us have, you know, all of us are growing up in this generation in the United States. We think that this is how it's always been in the church, that we've had this struggle. But it really is a modern American phenomena. And it's based on the fact that you had a large number of immigrants come from different places and alcohol and the types of alcohol people drank was one of the distinguishing features of the cultures. And so in trying to meld together and control others, this became a large issue. So the temperance movement is an American movement. This idea of prohibition is an American thing. And the rest of the Christian world laughs at it because they do not understand how you can read the same scriptures and come up with these ideas that it's unbiblical to drink when Jesus... One of his great miracles is changing water to wine. Yeah, and, and more broadly speaking, why choose this one? Why does any fundamentalist group choose their particular law to impose upon you know their subjects? Well, the answer is they usually choose something that they can actually keep that's not that difficult. I mean, this is the nature of legalism. Legalism thinks about the true law of God and realizes, a legalist realizes his or her own inability to truly fulfill the law that God requires of them, and we all face that struggle. And their response, instead of having a clear understanding and apprehension of the gospel of grace, that Christ has fulfilled the law for us, and that he has taken the penalty away, instead what they do to soothe their conscience is they add a law that is not that hard for them to keep. Maybe somebody who doesn't like alcohol or who had a good experience or, excuse me, a bad experience with an alcoholic relative. They saw how devastating abuse was, so they're not even, they don't have any appeal toward drinking at all. So they make a law that is easy for them to keep, and it appeases their conscience. And they can look out at the other, you know, these mainline denominations or this homosexual community or any other gross form of immorality and say, see, those are the filthy people, not me. Right. Me, I've got a law that I can keep. At least I do that better than them. 
and and it's sort of the self-justifying nature of, of a legalist that gives rise to well, in let, this case let me you know give prohibiting, you a test case prohibiting alcohol let me give you a test case here you have proverbs 23 verse 1 saying when you sit down to eat with a ruler observe carefully what is before you and put a knife to your throat if you are given to appetite do not desire his delicacies delicacies for they are deceptive food all right so the bible has a lot to say about gluttony overeating in fact, it says, so, go so far as to stick a knife to your throat. Don't eat uh, when, you, when, you, when you're sitting down at Hometown Buffet. I'd like to ask the question, I wonder how many people, if I went around and took the body fat check analysis at the SBC convention, I wonder how many would register as obese on any normalized uh, medical association scale of obesity. I'll guarantee you at least 50% are medically considered obese. I wonder how many people sat well, down. That's just that's just consistent with the um, the statistics for the nation as a whole. Society as a whole. As a mean, whole. So you're but, not picking you're necessarily on the Southern Baptists, right? Upper middle income fundamentalists who we know generally economically do better, right? Uh, than the average parts of our population. I'll guarantee you, over fifty percent of them are considered medically obese. I would like to also know how many sat down at the spread that they put on at those kinds of conventions and ate themselves sick. And then... And how many of them are... Addi- I'm sorry, and then this is funny. They're just, how many are addicted to caffeine where they can't even wake up in the morning without right. seven cups of coffee right. to go sit through the meetings all but day to discuss that alcohol is, you know, We don't want you, any of you beer drinkers on our boards. We don't care if you're fat and obese and addicted to caffeine, you sleep too much, you're lazy, you don't ever work out, you got atherosclerosis, your your arteries are just clogged now, full we, of... Now, we give allotances, obviously, for medical reasons... For obesity and, you know, also that people have different metabolisms. But this isn't the, the point right. is clearly gluttony is a, a public sin in the United States never, of America. Okay, but never condoned in the Bible anywhere. Never, 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 never is gluttony condoned or even suggested as a good thing to be. Certainly alcohol is. Certainly alcohol is commended as something good in Scripture. In fact, Paul commands Timothy to drink yeah, you have you have no instance in Scripture where God commands His people to 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 overstuff themselves to the point of being gluttonous. Yet, no, no requirements, no was, no, was no, there, no, no was, resolutions about that. Was no there non-binding. Res- was there a resolution on the floor to address uh, applying the principle of Proverbs twenty five sixteen? Have you found honey? Eat only as much as you need, lest you be filled with it and vomit. Right. So the uh, you know, but what what you make me think of here is is John that. Actually, the scripture addresses food and drink, I think, in a similar way, that it's to be seen as a good gift from God, mm-hmm. to be enjoyed to his glory. And moderately, the Bible even talks about feasting. But the Bible says you have to be very careful about overindulging yourself. And with alcohol, that's drunkenness. And with food, that's, with food, that's gluttony. So I don't know how many resolutions went through that committee <laughs> in the recent uh, convention— outlawing, again, fried chicken because the the culture is uh, obese. And it's because they like fried chicken more than they like alcohol. And so they can easily say, alcohol, we're going to toss that one, yeah. but fried chicken, we'll leave it in. And again, this is just the nature of legalism. Yeah, it is. And that's the problem that you said earlier, too, is that you find laws that you're able to keep. And the funny thing is, ultimately, though, you really can't even keep your own laws. And so you wind up with this entire culture of hypocrisy where you have this fundamentalism because— 
at first it seemed easy, or at least to the group that made the laws, it seemed easy. But then as time goes on, that which is forbidden becomes that much more tempting. And so then you wind up with these double lifestyles going on, and it's inevitable. Not each and every person, granted, but as a whole, it will happen. Let me give, let me give you a practical example of what Moses is talking about. I had the privilege a few weeks ago to have a week of vacation, go back to the south, visit some relatives in Charlotte, North Carolina. They had a mountain home, and we get up there, and then the night is getting later and later, and so they want to you know, have a little bit of alcohol before we go to sleep. So I say, well, what do you have? And there's a bottle of wine somebody brought up. And then somebody says, oh, you know, Uncle such-and-such has something in the cabinet up there. So you open the cabinet, and what has he got there? He's got a bottle of what they call white lightning, which is basically, during the days of Prohibition, liquor that people made out of corn or something like that. Anyway, my point is, every mountain home in that whole area, many of them owned by the true Southern Baptists who would never allow the legalization of alcohol in their community, were making white lightning you cannot make an alcohol stronger than this. It's stronger than rubbing alcohol. You can't even drink it without running around crazy under the moon. And I guarantee you yeah. that, you see, and this is the legalism I'm most talking about. You don't even keep your own law no. because it's so Im- impossible and intolerable. It's ridiculous. Well, as long as nobody knows that you're doing it, it's kind of okay. As long as nobody sees you or hears about it, witnesses to it, then you can do it. I guess that's how they live with their conscience after all this. Yeah, you're right. Just blatant hypocrisy. Uh, they condemn it, and they take part in it. They condemn it because, for whatever reasons, it gives them uh, some sense of self-righteousness or self-superiority or self-worth. I had a professor at the college, the same thing. He, uh, he told me that he traveled in Europe, and I said, what did you drink while you were in Europe? And he looked at me, and he smiled because he knew I was one of those that was always critiquing that policy of no alcohol. And uh, I said, I know you drank wine when you were in Europe. It's impossible to be in Europe and not drink wine yeah. unless you're just insane. And he kind of smiled and looked at me and hemmed and hawed. And I told him, you know, yeah. you're a hypocrite. You realize that. Just like, don't you tell swore the administration. That you yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, or tell them on the side at dinner when they're having a glass of wine themselves. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I tried that bottle when I was over in France, actually. <laughs> well, we want to be equal opportunity offenders here. Don't, 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 don't get us wrong. In a sense, we are fundamentalists. If you want to define fundamentalist as somebody who believes that the Bible is actually God's word, it's not a human, it's not a human reflection upon heavenly or spiritual or eternal or moral matters. We actually believe that the Bible was given every word of it uh, by God through the power of the Holy Spirit. That it's actually one hundred percent accurate. There are no errors in it. We, we, we believe and affirm sola scriptura. But the point of it is here that we're trying to make is that these people who claim it don't follow it because they want to set it aside and institute the commandments of men because they don't think the Bible really went far enough. On the other hand, though, to be equal opportunity offenders, we aren't liberals. We do believe that the Episcopal Church is sinning against God and violating his word by ordaining women to be bishops. We don't have any problem with saying that. We think that the PCUSA and being flexible and tolerant towards uh, ordination of homosexuals to be ministers is, is just a flagrant, um, rebellious, even, uh, I want to say satanic, uh, assault. I mean, of course, God does not allow that. That's wrong. And to do that in the name of Christ is to violate God's word uh, and to go against the scriptures. But what the fundamentalists have to see is that there is no power in becoming more obedient to the true law of God by adding man-made commandments. So let's talk about this homosexual issue, for instance. The, you know, the fundamentalist church 
looks at the liberal church and says, well, they have a problem ordaining homosexuals, better watch out for it. Well, what we shouldn't do, you see, is then say outlaw all sex. And somehow that is going to solve the problem of homosexuality. I mean, I guess it's true. If nobody's having any sex whatsoever, then there will be no homosexual activity going on in the world. But no, we don't do that. We say, no, let's define the law of God very clearly. Sex is a gift from God to be enjoyed within the bonds of marriage between a man and a woman, and that only, right? That is the true law. We see that Christ has redeemed us from our lusts, and we find in his, in his cross and in his obedience the power then to resist the temptation of all kinds of sexual sin. And I want to point out, it's the same thing with alcohol. It's not like we're denying that, that alcoholism and that drunkenness is not a serious problem. It is, and it pains us too to see it. But the solution is not outlawing what God has said is good. The solution is preaching the law clearly and preaching the gospel clearly. And, and on the other hand, let's not over be overly melodramatic here about homosexuality and vilify them above, above all others. The Apostle Paul places them on the same parallel as he does idolaters, uh, adulterers, Gossips. thieves, greedy, drunkards, <laughs> revilers, swindlers. Look, we're not saying that homosexuality isn't offensive to God. It surely is. It's a sin. But let's not go overboard here, okay? And, and, and pretending to be oh so pious and self-righteous that this one is above all other sins as the unpardonable sin. And I like the one that you brought up there, gossips and malicious slanderers. This is one that pretty much every church ignores, and it's one that I keep harping on because we really need to see this is our big problem. We like to talk about others. In fact, we love to say things about others, especially when we have something bad to say about them. And that somehow never makes it on the list of things to look for. This one hardly ever is condemned openly like drinking or whatever else when it is the problem that pretty much all of us struggle with. No, pretty much. It, it, it's, it makes you credible. It almost makes you downright credible in the church if you're a gossip. Because people think, oh, well, he's in tune. Oh, she, they're in tune. They know what's going on. They care about, you know, they, they're trying to figure out what's going on. They just want to help people. They want to pray for people in, an, in a real accurate and precise way. So you're almost seen as like somebody who's really spiritually in tune. But, you know, it, it, Paul puts it on the same continuum, people, you know as that, yeah, homosexuality. Right. You, know, you know that little desire that you have when you take a prayer request in church or something and somebody— you could tell is, is struggling with their life, with their issue, with their sanctification, whatever. You know that desire you have to find out all the dirty details? Well, that's the same sinful desire that a homosexual has when he's burning in lust for someone of the same sex. And don't justify yourself like you're in a different class of human being than those filthy, dirty ones on the outside. You're not. And we just, again, it's the self-justifying nature of legalism. We don't want to deal with our own problems and sins and so we project you know or we add laws to the scriptures that we can keep and we can keep everybody else filthy and not deal with our own sin hey we're not for ordination of women to be bishops we're not for ordaining homosexual homosexuals to be ministers of god's word but don't sit there and call us antinomians on the other hand because we don't stand up and cheer and applaud when the southern baptist convention goes full-blown hypocrite on us demanding by passing non-binding resolutions that even jesus couldn't be a seminary professor at their seminaries because he drank a little wine you know, we should not be wiser than God by going beyond his word. That's what we're all up in arms about here. Christian fundamentalism is characterized, sadly, all too often by a willingness to institute 
and establish the commandments of God of men above the commandments of God. And that's what we're critiquing here. Thanks for joining us on Sinners and Saints. <laughs>